Hello, everybody. Uh, it's good to see you, and it's good to be here. We are continuing on with Genesis, but before that, I just wanted to uh, go over uh, what our church announcements are. Once again, our church announcements are given at 12 o'clock, and so we want you to participate. We want you to be part of our service and our church, and if you come at 12 o'clock, we have wonderful, uh, funny, energetic Passionate people give the announcement and share. So you miss it if you don't come. They come in with, you know, read and then, you know, that kind of thing. And it's actually really good. Um, but starting January of 2017, our church is becoming independent, which means we are our own separate identity, entity, um, body. And we have our own church name. We are going to do this in just two months now. And to do this, we're preparing with study, prayer, and fellowship. It's just like what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The apostles gathered every day to study, to, um, <clears throat> to pray, and to break bread with one another. And this is what we also want to do, going independent. And I'm actually pretty excited that so many people come out to Bible study on Wednesdays, but if you have not tried, I want to encourage you one more time. Come out to Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday night, 8 o'clock. It's in the chapel across the hall from here. We're studying 1 John. We're a little bit half, more than halfway done, but you know, even if you didn't start with us, I hope you can finish with us. So please come on Wednesday. And after that, what we're going to have is a 40-day prayer. And this is where our whole church, we're going to try to pray together and we are going to um, really get into the new year by praying every day together. And after that, we want a nice fellowship. Um, so we're praying a nice banquet and a feast in the beginning of January. So hope that we can all kind of participate as we do it. We are on the book of Genesis. And <clears throat> I have three points for us today. And that is singles. Our first point is singles. And the second point is behold. And the third point is love. Singles, behold, love. In Genesis, we saw that Abraham fathered Isaac. Years later, Rebekah, which was Isaac's wife, becomes pregnant with twins. And God speaks through a prophecy when he says the older will serve the younger. However, Isaac, in a very most obvious way, he favors his older son, and which makes Esau proud. It makes him spoiled. It makes him dangerously impulsive, while at the same time, Jacob becomes cynical, becomes bitter, becomes detached. Then we see that Jacob receives the blessing instead of Esau. So what does Esau do? Esau vows to kill his brother. And then Jacob, in turn, runs and flees for his life. Last week, we heard and we experienced that when Jacob was fleeing, <coughs> excuse me, he literally sees a stairway to heaven in which what a stairway to heaven signifies, if you imagine this, 
Jacob has this dream where angels are ascending and descending on this staircase. That means there's commerce between heaven and earth. That means there is not just a connection, there is an exchange happening. That's what Jacob sees. And God gives him this promise in chapter 28, verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So Jacob is on this journey. And what we see is that this is not an easy journey. This is many hundreds of miles that he has to go back to his grandfather's original land. And then what we see is um, Jacob was probably in his 60s when he got the blessing, so it takes many years, so post-60s. And we, doing some calculations, we see that Jacob, when he first married, he was about 84 years old. I don't know if that surprises you, but if you do your own calculations, the ESV Study Bible also has it around 84 years old when he gets married. So that goes my first point, singles. Don't worry about when you're going to get married. Jacob was 84. You can't possibly top 84. Why are you so stressed? <clears throat> I'm speaking to myself here, of course, but what we do a lot of times is when we are single and I believe God has given me a season in my life to really experience it, to meditate on it, to really be part of it, to share with you what he has shown me. When you are single, a lot of times what culture and what tradition would demand us be is that we only look forward to and prepare for marriage. That's why you should get out of your singleness as quickly as possible. This is what we are taught. This is what we are not only taught, but shown. However, <clears throat> the question is, is it biblical? Is it Bible-based? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I encourage all of you single, even married people, to look at this chapter. Basically, if I were to summarize, it would be saying, don't use your single season to pine away about marriage and see it for what it is. What is it? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It is a season ordained by God to give you, now you have to understand, this is a season ordained by God to give you undivided devotion to the Lord. It's a season to give you undivided devotion to the Lord. You know, when we continue to think, and I'm not saying it's bad to prepare for an upcoming season. In fact, I think it's very wise. I think we should do things of that nature, and we should prepare. The wise person prepares. But if it's only for the next season, we give 100% for the next season, what we don't see is this season for what it is. When we miss this season because we're pining away for the next one, you only live for the next season. What happens then? 
when you get to the next season, you've totally missed your single season. One of the benefits is that um, I remember in 2011, the tsunami happened. Uh, before that, uh, the earthquake in Haiti happened. And we see these very tragic things happen around the world. And the first thing that they do is, you know, you have relief come, people come. The first people I see get up and go are not married people. They're not. It's just the way it is. Look at our church too. The first people that get up and go are single people. And married people respond saying, I'm kind of jealous. But if I go, who's going to take care of the house? Who's going to take care of the kids? Now I would respond, well, there are about a few million people suffering. You can put it to God and go. But it's a very difficult decision. However, when you're single, you just, well, I'll, I'll go. I mean, just take a few days off, have a few vacation days, and then you up and go. In fact, that is one of the reasons why we were able to get started with our Japan ministry once the tsunami hit. The first thing God put in my heart is you have to go, prepare to go. And because of that, we have a continuing Japan mission trip every year. There are certain things God gives us in the season we are in, not so that we pine away for the future season. And we're going to keep on going, and we'll see how dangerous it is when we continue to pine away for things because we want it to fulfill us, because where we are now is unfulfilling. And Paul says, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Don't miss this chapter by pining away for the next one. You know, some of you have things and we have dreams. We want to go to the next stage and all we do is work for that next stage. It might be a life stage, but it also could be career-wise. It could be where you are economically. Um, it could be where you are socially. But if you continue to pine only for that stage, what happens? Even when you get it, I guarantee you, you will not be satisfied. If all you think about is marriage, I guarantee you, when you, think of, when you get married, the next thing is, why aren't you having babies? And when you have babies, is are you saving up? How are you teaching them? Look at your kid. The kid is a mess. You're a terrible parent. All you do, and then you just wait. Oh, I hope I get empty nested. When you're empty nested, you're like, oh, I hope I can retire. All you do is pine for the next stage. You miss it right here. You miss the life and the season God is giving you. Jacob, he sees God. God goes to him in a dream. He has a long journey, yes, but God encourages him. And he gets to the place where he needs to go. And now we are on chapter 29. And he says, where are you from to the shepherds that are there? And he says, we're from Haran. He said, yes, I made it to the right place. Do you know this guy? He said, yes, we know this guy. All right, that's my grandfather. I need to go to this place. Because Jacob now doesn't have a home. He fled. He couldn't fight Esau. In fact, you see all these character flaws start to come out. He wasn't man enough, so he needed to flee. 
He wasn't going to stand up. Esau was probably stronger, bigger, um, healthier, more skilled. And so he flees and he goes on this really, really long journey for who knows how long. And he finally gets to the place he needs to go. Now, when he goes to the, the reason why he goes to the well is where the well is, that's where the town center is. You need water. So he's smart enough to go to the well and wait. And when he sees the, shep- the shepherds come in, he says, yes, I found the right place. But while he was still talking, the Bible says Rachel comes in the picture. When Rachel comes in the picture, you see almost like a movie star entrance. Like there's a little soft white light, hair is blowing in the wind. She's not only beautiful, but she's rugged. She can take care of herself. She has sheep behind her. It's the equivalent today of a superstar woman who has everything, and you're like, wow, that's amazing. And Jacob was enamored by Rachel. Jacob was so enamored by Rachel that what we see here is a well, and in the well there was a stone to block it, and they had this heavy stone to block it. It's because we don't want things to get in, like debris, dust, uh, we don't want animals to fall in, we don't want people to fall in, so they block it with this huge stone. And to move it, all the shepherds needed to gather. So only a few shepherds gathered, so he's like, we can't move the stone yet. We need all the shepherds together because it's a pretty heavy rock. Jacob sees Rachel, and what's the first thing that he does? He goes, I got this. And he takes the rock by himself, and he moves it. And probably caused the hernia. It doesn't matter. Rachel is there because he knows something. He knows first impressions are important. And he's tired of being single, right? First impressions are important. So he moves this rock. And after he moves this rock, he goes, you can water your sheet now. And then he goes over to Rachel and he kisses her. You know, like a greeting perhaps. But here's the weird part. He kisses her. And then he starts crying, not just like, that was a beautiful, that was, that was so awesome, I get to kiss this beautiful woman, but he kisses her and just doesn't cry, and the Bible says he weeps out loud. Who does that? How much have you have to be enamored and obsessed from first sight to go up to someone and kiss them and go, oh, that was like the most beautiful thing I've ever experienced. You don't understand, you guys. It's just so good. And he is a total mess because of Rachel. We're in behold. Rachel runs back to her father and says, everything that happened. Who knows what she exactly told him. And Laban, who was supposed to be Jacob's uncle, comes in and says, yes, you are my relative. And he goes, what do you want? And the first thing Jacob says is, um, I want Rachel. I want Rachel. He had two daughters. One was Leah and one was Rachel. Just in case, uh, just for kicks, uh, Leah means cow. And Rachel means you, like a female sheep. And so they were a farming kind of community. So that's why they named people accordingly. And so you see the daughters of a farming community, Laban, who's really dedicated to his work, come in and say, 
what do you want? First thing he says is, Rachel. I want Rachel. And in the Bible it says, um, Leah had weak or soft eyes, depending on your translation. Uh, that means she was ugly. I, I'm just being very frank. This is what the Bible says. Don't hate me. That just means she's ugly. And um, weak and soft were negative words. A lot of, some people think that she might have been cross-eyed, but, or some people might have thought weak eyes means it was hard on you to look at her, or something to that effect. So nothing really to, nothing really to be excited about. But Rachel, very descriptive, very descriptive. In fact, um, words that aren't used in the Hebrew Bible for men as much, and we're going to go into it later, but it was described for a very few men, uh, David and Joseph or one of them. But for Rachel, this is the absolute pinnacle of physical beauty. And they describe her as having a beautiful body. That's the exact word. You have a gorgeous hot bod. That's what the Hebrew is saying. And this narrator is telling us this because this is the actual contrast between the two. This is how Jacob sees the two. And Rachel was so beautiful. In verse 18, it says, Jacob loved Rachel. And he says, I will serve you seven years for Rachel. You know, it's, it's to continue to impress because no one at that time gave seven years as a gift for a wife. Seven years was enormous. It was extraordinary. But Jacob, because he was so in love, with Rachel, this is what he said, I will give you for a bride's price, seven years. And this is how Laban responds. Laban responds, it's better that I give her to you than someone else. So fine. Is that a yes? If you think about it, if you read it carefully, that's not really a yes. It's better if I give her to you than some other person. Uh, if someone comes up to me and says, can I get $5? And I go, it's better I give you $5 than perhaps some other person. And then you would naturally respond, what? What are you talking about? Give me $5, man. I'm just asking a simple question. But because you are so in love, that's all you see. So when you are obsessed, all you see is what you want to see. Yes, I prayed for this woman, God said yes. So I have to marry. All you see in your prayers, in your actions, in all the things that you do and hear is a yes because you want to hear a yes. Yes, this person's the one. I feel it in my bones. This person is the one. And this is exactly what happened to Jacob. Laban doesn't even say yes outright. He just says some ambiguous statement. But Jacob Here's a yes. And in the last verse that Ho Young read for us, this is the power of his love. He served seven full years, not as a relative. First of all, Laban is not a nice guy. If you're a family, you don't treat them like a slave, not even a worker. You treat them like family. But Laban treats him like a slave, gives him slaves work, completely in his possession. And Jacob does it. And it seems like nothing. Seven years, nothing. 
Mind you, by this time, he's already in his 70s. 70s. Seven years, nothing. You're in your 20s and 30s, seven years is a lifetime, right? Jacob's in his 70s, like, this is nothing, you guys. Because I love Rachel. Now this is where it gets really graphic and really almost to a point raunchy. Jacob, once he serves seven years, goes to Laban and says, give me my wife so that I may go into her for my time is completed. This is the most astonishingly graphic kind of talk that you give someone. If you have a daughter and someone comes up to you and says, give her to me so that I can have sex with her, how does that make you feel? (laughs) In fact, Jacob was so obsessed, so enamored, so obviously oblivious to anything else in the world except Rachel. It didn't matter even if Laban was the future father-in-law to him. He wanted to have sex with Rachel. Obsession leads to everything, not just from what you desire physically, but emotionally, even down to the spirit. He wanted her completely for himself. So this is what comes out of his mouth, something graphic, something even to the point disturbing, where you wouldn't even teach in Sunday school, maybe. But you can say, hey, it's, it's in the Bible, guys. I, I can say it. <laughs> But seriously, this is really, really graphic, detailed stuff. Laban gathers everybody together. And there is this banquet. Jacob, obviously intoxicated, finally gets to lay with his now wife. But in the middle of it all, Laban switches Leah and Rachel And Leah goes in, you know, once all the festivities are over, it's dark. You can't really see. So Leah goes in, and he sleeps with Rachel, consummating the marriage. And in the morning, you see the word, behold. Behold is the same thing as when a guy maybe wakes up and turns around. Oh, my goodness. What just happened? Someone tell me. And this is what happened to Jacob. Behold. When we see the word behold in the Bible, it is not something like, hark ye, therefore, lo, behold. It's not like that. Every time we see the word behold, in our context and language today, it should be something like boom. Boom! I'm going to drop this bomb on you. And this is what exactly happened to Jacob. He wakes up, he's like, boom! Oh my goodness, what is going on? But you see here, this behold happens because he didn't recognize the first behold he got. Where was the first behold? The first behold was when he saw the staircase and the angels ascending, descending down from heaven to earth And God says, may I remind you, God says again in chapter 20, verse 15, behold, it's supposed to be boom. I'm going to drop this bomb on you. Even though you're weak, even though you can't do anything by yourself, even if you have no confidence, you're full of insecurities, behold, I am with you and will keep you 
wherever you go, and will you bring you back to this land? For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Behold, that should have blown Jacob away because he should have realized this is something I don't deserve. This is something I could have never, ever expected. You know, who am I? I was so weak, I had to deceive my dad because I really wanted the blessing, but I couldn't even come up with the plan. My mom had to tell me what the plan was. And even then I doubted. I said, I don't know if this plan is going to work, Ma. But he did it, gets the blessing, and then he jets. But God says to him, behold. But when he sees Rachel, he forgets about his first behold. And he puts lust, sex, as the highest good. It says here he worked seven years. That is insane. And to him it felt like nothing because that's all he could see. All he could think of was Rachel. And he gets a second behold. We think we're not like Jacob, right? There's no way. You know, I'm older, I'm wiser. I'm not older than Jacob. Jacob, maybe two, three times older than many of you. But we still have language that we use. Um, Language like marriage material. Marriage material. We use it in everyday language. Once you get older, things that you say about someone is, is this person marriage material? What are you doing when you say that? Think about it. What are you doing when you say, is this person marriage material? What we do in this world, in this culture, is everything has to fit my needs. Is this person marriage material means, does this person fill my needs you know Jacob is a sad story he really wanted his father's love and many people might think he should have gotten it but the reality is he didn't get it this is reality sometimes we want someone's love so badly but the reality is you might not get it And what do you do? You need to fill that space. You are desperate to fill. And yes, it could come out as sex. It could come out with some kind of obsession. Because nowadays, we have changed. If you even look at the movies, it's changed. Uh, When we, um, maybe in the 80s and 90s, movies that we saw, if it was rated R, it was good. That means there would be some raunchy things and we'd love it. But now what we have is everybody has access to pornography. So movies, what they do is they've gone beyond that. And now it's about obsessing over things. If you're a guy, it's obsessing over how many women I can sleep with and being just a bad person, I suppose. I I was going to say something else, but I'm going to hold myself back. Um... And for women, I remember, um, <clears throat> this is something that I don't, I'm not proud of, but uh, 
back uh, maybe 10 years ago, I would just leave the TV on and do my work, and I would always leave it on TBS. It's not like I chose to watch TBS. It was just the best channel at the time. And in TBS, they would have like hour, two hour long just uh, sessions of, because it was late night of um, Sex in the City. I don't know if anybody used to watch that. And there was this one episode that I still remember. It's these ladies were so upset that guys would use them as tools and things just to get a thrill, just to get a quick fix. They decided, why don't we do that? And so this episode revolved around them just using guys because guys use girls. And in the end, they still remained unfulfilled. Guys, it's still unfulfilled. But girls too, it's unfulfilling. So what happens to this culture, and if you look at the movies, even the movies that we watch currently, it's, it's about saying, um, what's that movie, he's just not that into you, and there's movies like Love Actually, there's all these rom-coms that are out there. It's about showing, you know, marriage, it's, it's, it's actually, it sucks. Let's be honest, it sucks. That's what these movies are saying. So what can we do? You know, you need to buy shoes. How many pairs of shoes do women now own? Not just women. Now I've seen this trend go over all the way to everybody across the board. <clears throat> it has even affected me. Now I need gym shoes and running shoes, uh, church shoes, depending on the suit, what color shoes, um, casual shoes, casual running shoes so you look athletic. And you go, you go, you go down the list. It's about how many shoes you own. This is kind of ridiculous. Long time ago, I think people just had like two pairs of shoes, one for a nice place and one for a casual place. And that was it. But now, even when, I don't know if some of you are into exercising, you need football shoes. They're different from baseball shoes. Um, they are different from running shoes. And they are different from squatting shoes if you squat or lift. And they are different from uh, just normal cross-training shoes. So you can't, obviously you can't squat with cross trainers, you need squatting shoes, so we have squatting shoes, we have all these different shoes, and that's just for one place that we may go for 45 minutes a day. You have five different shoes. Um, not only that, but instead of being enamored by love and all this, because now we're disenfranchised. We know it's not real, love is not real, so buy shoes, buy shoes. Second one is, Spend a lot of money on marriage. Nowadays, it's a, there's an increasing cost on marriages. Why? You have to think about it. Just don't buy into the culture. Think about it. And if you decide, you know what? I am going to spend $200,000 on my wedding. Then at least you thought about it. But think about it. It's gone up, and especially in America. Why? Isn't it because we, could, we believe we can't get fully fulfilled, so we dream about material goods. We dream about the ultimate wedding. And now we even toss the other person aside. As long as that person is marriage material, let's get this wedding going. And it's about the wedding. There's a minimum dollar amount you have to spend. There's actually magazine after magazine after magazine about weddings. And people read them all the time. That's why they're still in circulation. Sure, newspaper is out of print. But marriage magazines, they're still going strong. 
love. What we think is the highest good, what we believe that can fulfill the emptiness in our hearts, once you get it, do you get fulfilled? Jacob was tricked. He was deceived. In fact, even after he got married again, after Leah, to Rachel, it says he loved Rachel so much more. And at the end of the chapter, it says Leah wasn't just not liked less than Rachel. It says Leah was hated. That's how much more he loved Rachel. Rachel, I love you so much. It's Leah, garbage, right? But later on, you see that even Rachel gives Jacob such a hard time. This picture that he had would be the perfect woman. He doesn't even know her. He doesn't even know her because all he fell in love with was the picture. And when Rachel says to Jacob, like, you better give me children or I'm going to kill myself. And Jacob's like, what? Like, what I gave you isn't enough? And how can I give you a baby? Isn't that in God's hands? And he's just, what is going on? Perhaps another behold moment. But Ernest Becker says this. The, fail, the failure of romantic love as a solution to human problems is so much a part of modern man's frustration. No human can bear the burden of godhood. However much we may idolize and idealize the love partner, he inevitably reflects earthly decay and imperfection. After all, what is it that we want then we elevate the love partner to this position. We want to be rid of our faults, of our feeling of nothingness. We want to be justified to know our existence has not been in vain. We want redemption and nothing less. Needless to say, human partners cannot give this. And this is the trap that we fall into over and over again. We know that you have been given a behold moment where God came into your life and he said, behold, I am with you. I will never let you go. But as soon as Rachel comes into picture, I know she can fill my needs. She is everything I've ever wanted. And all he saw was some sheep. That's it. You just saw sheep, curl, done. Mine is made up. The perfect person. Now we see all these characters in play and we read this Bible and we're like, who's, who's actually the protagonist? When you read a story, there has to be a protagonist. There has to be a hero of the story. Who's the hero? It seems to me Jacob is kind of bumbling and he doesn't know what's going on. Leah's not even pretty that Jacob doesn't even pay attention to her. Rachel, it seems like she needs to, she should be this perfect person, but is far from it. Who's the protagonist here? In the end of chapter 29, God sees Leah. And it says in verse 31, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened up her womb. But Rachel was barren. And because he opened up her womb, Leah conceived and bore a son. 
And she called him Reuben, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She also wanted to be loved so much, just like Jacob, but she was hated by the person that was supposed to be her most intimate partner. She conceived again and bore a son. And she said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he gave me this son also, named him Simeon. The third time he said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I gave him three sons. But nothing happens. And then she has the fourth son. And she says, this time I will praise the Lord. And he was called Judah. It is no coincidence that Judah is the line that Jesus comes from. It was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, not Simeon, Reuben, or Levi, but it was Judah. Leah realizes something in this passage. He realized that when she couldn't receive love, she was from the person that she wanted. She was actually being filled and being adored upon, being doted on by someone greater, someone that could actually fill her need, and that was God. And so she named her final son Judah, and it says in the Bible, then she ceased bearing. She didn't need to prove anything anymore. She didn't, to, she needed, she didn't need to live like I need to earn someone's love. In fact, she realized that she was loved. This is the story that we are given. What we see here is that when we are obsessed, we think it's love, and we think it's the power of love that gets us through the day, but once we wake up and our eyes are open and the behold moment inevitably comes, we see that we, even though we should have been the master deceiver, right? A lot of people think Jacob Oh, what a deceiver, the master deceiver. Jacob, the master deceiver then, gets deceived. What we see here is that nothing that we want to really fill us in our needs can really do it. Your marriage will not do it. You having children will not do it. You getting a successful career will not do it. The only thing that can fill your heart in that abyss of the desire of wanting to be loved completely for who you are, that's given by God. God does it. And God does it in the most amazing, gentle, caring, and loving way. He talks to you in your language. He doesn't come to you and start speaking, unless you speak German. He doesn't come to you and He doesn't start speaking German. He he doesn't. That's not what God does. He doesn't go to you and start speaking Korean if that's not your first language. He speaks to you in your language. And that's exactly what he did for Leah. He spoke to her in her language to show her that he loves her. And today he comes and he speaks to you in your language to show you that he loves you. The most powerful example of his love for us, shown to us in our language, is that Jesus came down to this earth 
and experienced everything that we went through. Loneliness? Yeah. You're lonely because you're single? Jesus was 38 and then he was crucified. No marriage for him. You're lonely because you can't get the fulfillment of your partner? Yes, Jesus had brother he had friends closer than a brother and when it came down to it he was betrayed by them they ran away they didn't even stay to defend him they didn't even stay from far away and say don't do this this is wrong they just ran and one guy ran naked because he didn't want any part of it they grabbed his clothes and he said no my clothes gone I'm out and he ran away naked because they didn't want anything to do with Jesus are you afraid of what's to come That darkness, that turmoil covered Jesus so much with such intensity that he went to Gethsemane and he prayed so hard. It says in the Bible that his sweat were like droplets of blood. And scientifically, that's now proven that if you're under such duress and stress, blood can actually come out of your pores. But it needs to be intense stress, like death. And Jesus went through that. And who did he have in mind? He loved the Father. The Father in him was one. And then when he was dying on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. He had us in mind. In his heart. It came out in his speech. Because he loves us. He speaks our language. And even today, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Won't you open the door for him and let him enter your heart? He was meant to fill all your needs. That hole in your heart, that's the shape of Jesus. And he is here today. Let's pray.